Hello, friend. Come on in. As you can see, Greg has already made up your tea. How you like it? Remember, no milk. Today is a very special Notes with the Narrator. Today, we're going to learn a little bit about the world. And what better way to tell you than through story? Before we begin, I would like to reiterate my statement from the very beginning that I own none of these characters, places, or things. They all belong to John Wick Presents and Chaosium Inc., that I am not affiliated with or endorsed by the aforementioned companies. And without any further delay, let us begin. This is Volume 5 of Notes with the Narrator, entitled Crucial Lore, A Pirate's Life for Me. A brightly colored macaw sat preening its tail feathers on an old rickety sign that read, the bucket of blood in faded red paint. The door swung open fast, startling the bird to screech in protest and take wing. Loud, enthusiastic song burst from the inside, the lyrics nearly incomprehensible as a group of people swaggered down the cobblestone street towards the docks. A small girl, with russet hair and eyes of seafoam green, held the door open with most of her body. Worry settled in her brow, which always made her nose wiggle, the smear of freckles on her cheeks seeming to dance across her face. Her tiny hands wrung together as she stared with concern after the group. Charlotte, a deep voice, heavy with an islander's accent, beckoned with care from within. Come away now. It's time to clear down. Charlotte let out a sigh that sounded more like a hum. She leaned away from the door, and it closed with a loud click. Her footsteps on the old planks echoed in the great bar since it was nearly empty, save for the proprietor and a handful of patrons that counted as family. An elderly man with stony, gray wisps of hair smiled with as many teeth as there were people in the bar. Ye've a heart of gold, little miss, but ye needn't worry. Every pirate knows their way back to the ship, even if their compass be spinning faster than a hurricane. He winked with his only eye at her, and Adakumbo chuckled from his stool behind the bar. <laughs> Dead be true. The giant Ifrian man smiled and tilted his chin towards the mug in front of Sevens. Let's cause Sevens. The elder raised his left hand, revealing the missing fingers, and wiggled what remained of them over his drink. Oh, I best be winding down. Harder to stumble home these days. Charlotte crawled up the barstool. Even though both the men offered their hand and help, she stubbornly refused. Finally, after some muttering about how the stool should have stairs, she sat with a small huff beside the old sea dog. Sevenths? Charlotte asked meekly, looking over at him as Adetokumbo slid her a glass full of honey-colored liquid. You know a lot about things. Were there always pirates here? Not always, little miss. Do you know the story of old Nobbinies? Charlotte thought a moment, then shook her head softly. Who's that? Sevens couldn't help but smile wide at the chance to tell a story. His eyes glittered with whimsy as he began to tell the tale. 
Vincenzo Nabini Scato was an awful pirate. Maybe the worst pirate of the century. An elderly, wealthy Vodachi merchant with a head full of romantic ideals and absolutely no skills to back them up. He spent his vast fortune trying to live out his dreams of being a pirate. He began his career hunting Crescent Empire shipping vessels in the new Minari approach. He lost three ships and three crews. When both the Crescent Empire and Vodachi offered a price on his head, he moved to the Widow's Sea, hunting Castilian ships. He lost three more expensive boats. Finally, Fearing for his life and knowing he probably couldn't recruit another crew, he took what remained of his wealth and moved to the Atabayan Sea, hoping to change his fortune. Charlotte, riveted in the tale, leaned forward slightly. Did he have any luck? Lucky Seven simply laughed. <laughs> no, little miss. His bad luck held out. After a disastrous failed attack on a Castilian merchant vessel, Guarded by a frigate who knew he was in the waters, he landed his crippled ship on a large, unpopulated island. Unpopulated by people, perhaps, but the chores were covered with lobsters and crabs. Gato, knowing he would certainly die on the uninhabited rock, took solace in knowing he would at least avoid starvation in his final days. But the Castilian frigate did not give up on Gato, following him back to the island after the battle. Gato and his crew prepared for a desperate last stand when they discovered a giant lobster inhabited the bay. As it began to rip both ships to pieces, the crews fought together against the beast. Together, they killed it. In exchange for camaraderie, the captain of that Castilian ship, a woman named... Sevens trailed off, his eyes lifting to search for the name in the rafters. With a frustrated sigh, he continued, Ah, I can't remember her name, save for the last. Vela, it was. Remember that for me, little miss. I... I, said Charlotte. What did she say? Well, she offered to spare Gato's life. But only if he swore to never practice piracy again. Gato, with his hand on the Book of the Prophets, said, I have learned my lesson. I was never meant to be a pirate, nor shall I ever endeavor to do so again. And Captain Vela's crippled ship left the bay, and Gato turned his attentions to the godforsaken rock he had been placed upon. <laughs> but, seeing as he was a man of great aspiration, saw this desolate place of crustaceans as a new beginning. Namely, to see himself as the merchant prince of the Atabayan Sea. As silly as that sounds. He built Porto di Aragosti. Named because Aragosta means lobster in Fadachi Litmus. If Gato could not be a pirate, he would at least spend the rest of his life surrounded by them. So he built a haven the likes of which no one had ever seen. Not in Thea, not in Numa, and not even in the Atabayan Sea. He built a pirate's paradise. And Lucky Sevens gestured all behind him, as if to the rest of the island. Aragosta. 
Perhaps it was a trick of the lantern light, but upon looking at Charlotte then, you could have sworn you saw an entire galaxy in her eyes. Wow. So this was just... Lobsters and crabs. There weren't any pirates at all. Not in those days, little miss. But soon, people got word. And as you know, word spreads like fire here. Lucky Sevens looked around really briefly. A tick of his whenever fire was mentioned in his sacred bucket of blood. Word eventually reached every brigand and lowlife... Every black heart, every man, every woman, every other. And soon Aragosta was full of pirates. They helped build it, right? That's why everything looks like it's made out of broken ships. That's right, little miss. Every pirate who wanted to live on Aragosta had to make their own way. And so they took pieces of ships, driftwood, flotsam and jetsam, anything they could get their hands on and threw it together. So then, what about here? What about the bucket? Adetokumbo, did you build it? Adetokumbo laughed again. <laughs> no, no, Charlotte. It was built before me, and it had another name. Charlotte gasped softly. <gasps> another name? What was it? And Lucky Sevens leaned over his mug and smiled at Charlotte again. Do you remember the name of that captain? The one that spared Gato's life. Oh, Vela. Aye, little miss. Gato built this place and called it Vela's Mercy in honor of, well, her mercy. And it burned down less than a year later. He rebuilt it, called it Vela's Dream. It burned down five weeks after he opened the doors. Charlotte couldn't help but giggle. <laughs> He has really bad luck. Aye, he does. Now Gato rebuilt the Vela a third time, but after a violent clash between two rival crews, the tavern was a burned and bloody mess. Oh no. Oh yes. But the fourth time he started to rebuild it, a passing captain shouted at him, Are you building that bucket of blood again? Out of frustration. Gato called the place Sekio de Sangue. For some reason, be by the gods of the fate itself, the tavern remained, and so did her name. Well, I'm glad we call it the Bucket of Blood. I don't know if I can pronounce that. Aye, little miss. Now, as the years passed, Aragosta became what Gato always dreamed it would be. A safe haven for pirates, ruffians, scoundrels, outcasts, brigands, buccaneers. If you can't find it anywhere else, you can find it in Aragosta. As the saying goes. That's what the portmasters across Thea say, at least. If it's illegal in Thea, it's on every merchant table here in Aragosta. Gato's island port thrived. Protected by those who believed in his dream. And while he served as a de facto governor, Gato did precious little to enforce any kind of law or order on his island. No king, no lord, no governor, just the will of the people. But wait a minute, there were kings. Well, now there's a queen. Now who's telling the story, little miss? 
and Charlotte blushed deeply and hid it behind her glass. It's alright, I know you're excited. I'm getting there. Now, true to his dream, Aragosta was a place like no other, hosting a bar, the bucket of blood, like no other. Little did Gatu know, when he founded this little tavern, that it would be the site of one of the most infamous agreements ever signed. And can you guess what it was signed in? Charlotte perked up in her seat. Oh, oh, yeah, I know that. The first charter. Signed in blood. Aye, little miss. Now let's see if you've been paying attention to old Ida Kumbo. Can you point to me which one's the first one on the wall there? Charlotte spun on her chair so fast that it nearly rocked off of its legs, causing Adeta Kumbo to jump out of his stool to try and catch her. But she reached an elbow out to the bar to steady herself and placed her drink down. Hmm. I think it's... There. That one. She pointed to a charter whose paper was nearly the color of the wall, whose ink was no longer of any notable color other than deep, dark brown. At least two sheets wide and three sheets long. It was the largest charter on the wall, and it was smack dab in the middle. No other charter touched it. There was a small ring, wide enough you could fit a bullet in, and a single coffin nail was hammered to pin it, and it seemed to lay perfectly flat as if willed to do so. Aye, little miss, that be the first charter. The one that birthed the Republic of Pirates. Its true name be the Charter of the Republic of the Coast. Now, as you can imagine, as Aragosta flourished, and pirates from all over the world came to seek their fortune, or lay claim to a bit of the island for themselves. This soured the nobility over on the other side of Thea, particularly of Castilian and Montaigne. Now, on any other day, they would have just arranged for warships to guard their galleons, but even then, it was getting too risky. And so together, the two nations agreed to form an alliance against... He holds up both of his hands, with his first and middle finger prevalent. However, the middle finger of his right hand is missing, only a stub. Even so, he motions for quotations. Piracy in all its wicked forms. Such ships flew their respective national colors. Castile being of a deep red and orange, and Montaigne being of blue and yellow. Lucky Sevens makes a face, as if he has tasted something slimy. But there was one important distinction between these flags and the flags you see today. A black dot in the middle of the flag. The symbol meaning Pirate's Bane. Charlotte hid a gasp behind her hand and quietly said, so as not to interrupt Lucky Sevens, The black spot flew. These black spots scoured the seas for Jolly Rogers, killing all pirates aboard, capturing the ships, or selling the vessels off to 
Vestin or Vodachi merchants. They were systematically destroying piracy in the Atabayan. And now that there was a pirate paradise, now that there was an island full of pirates, something had to be done. Something had to stop the Black Spot fleet. Lucky Sevens' voice becomes reverent, as if he is reciting something that he has said over and over and over again. Nine captains met at the Bucket of Blood. Roberts, Reese, Hardig, Fevrier, Carrigan, Hupia, Vinter, Quijano, Cananasso, and Goes. They spent a week in discussion, a desperate attempt to unite their forces, finally agreeing on a single charter to bind any and all vessels under their command. They promised mutual protection, elections for captains annually, a council of captains who would meet in this very bar, sharing of spoils for repairs, and maintaining a fleet to protect Aragosta from any foreign enemies. They also promised to share secret charts and any information that would help protect the new Aragostan agreement. And finally, and most importantly, a vow to hunt down any ship flying a black spot. Now to protect themselves, as punishment, any sailor who violated the agreement would be branded with the black spot, a true sign of a traitor among pirates. And when the charter was finished, all nine pooled blood to a single bowl and signed their names. And thus... The Republic of Pirates was born on Gato's island. And Gato? Oh, and he was there. Vincenzo Nabinese Gato, with his name on that paper, finally was a pirate. He walked back to his home on the island, aided by his cane and his servant. Where does he live? Can we go visit him? I'd like to thank him for... Making this island. Lucky Sevens gives Charlotte a sad smile. Charlotte's nose began to wiggle as worry crossed her face. Don't tell me it was bad luck again. I'm sorry, little miss. A few years ago, he went out fishing. Servants lost sight of his boat in a fog. When the fog finally cleared, there was no sign of God. And nobody's seen him since. Adetokumbo, do you think the winds took him? Adetokumbo softly smiles. Aye, the winds guided him. Charlotte, realizing that the mood had turned maudlin, perked up in her seat after drinking another sip from her cup. So, you said that Gato didn't enforce any laws and that there wasn't a king, but there were kings before. So, how did we get a queen? Seemingly jarred from his solemn thoughts, Lucky Sevens cleared his throat. <clears throat> well, according to the first charter, it's faded now, you can't really see it, but one of the articles states that a king must remain on Aragosta to manage disputes between captains and keep peace on the island, as kings tend to do. The first captains agreed on this arrangement for exactly the reasons you might think. Whoever gets to be king 
doesn't get to have any fun. Why no fun? Oh, a pirate's life is out at sea, little miss. If you're stuck on land being a king, what fun is that for a pirate? Oh, so it was a job that nobody wanted. But it's a job someone has to have. But of course, the captains being the captains were a bit vague on exactly what that meant. Now Roberts, he was the first king, and he continued sailing around the oceans, only returning once a month, maybe, if he was lucky, to handle affairs as he saw fit. And Goes, Goes was the second king. Goes was a more permanent resident, but he still left the island for an adventure or two a year. As you know, a few years ago Goes retired. He was nearly killed, maimed near death, when he came across company forces. He lost the use of one arm, now needs a cane to walk about. And he thought it might be time for someone else to become king. But none of the other captains wanted to wear the crown. And why would they? And so, Goes being smart like a whip, made a proclamation. Do you know what that was, little miss? Yeah, he said on the last day of the year, the last captain to arrive at the Bucket of Blood and tell the king, I don't want your job, would be the one who got it. That's right, little miss. Now the last day of the year arrived, and every captain sailed into port and ran into the bucket of blood announcing, I don't want your job. As the day grew long, the sun set in the east, the last captain to arrive was none other than Goz's own first mate, now captain. Morgan Jacqueline Bonaventura. Lucky Sevens leaned in close to Charlotte as if to whisper a secret. She also leaned in close. I was there when she arrived. Little Miss, there ain't nothing better than seeing a dawn of realization on someone's face when they learn that they truly messed up. Identicumbo and Lucky Sevens share a mirthful chuckle. I thought the bucket was going to catch fire again how she was looking at Goz. Charlotte also shared in the chuckle, but perhaps more so to be included in the moment. After a while, there was the silence shared among friends, and Charlotte's eyes lingered on the first charter. Sevens? Aye, little miss. Reese's name is on the charter. Isn't she one of the bad pirates? A tired sigh escapes Lucky Sevens. Aye, <sighs> she is. But how did she not get punished? You said that all of them made it so that they couldn't hurt each other when they signed the charter. How is it that she isn't hurt? Well, to be honest, nobody quite knows. Now, even before... The Republic of Pirates, Captain Reese, was one of the most feared pirates in all the Seven Seas. The Terror of the Waves, the Scarlet Reaper, they called her. No one expected her to show up, but when the call went out for those willing to stand against the Black Spot fleet, Reese arrived in Aragosta, and during the entire week of the debate, nobody seriously expected Reese to sign the charter. But she did. 
She suggested that the first captain sign the charter in blood. She mixed the bowl together and performed some ritual that no one knows other than her. Certainly no one expected her to maintain the agreement, but she did. Something was off. Something afoul. Something wicked took place. The captains didn't know that Reese had betrayed them until Captain Roberts, the first king, remember, got himself wounded and captured by a Montane pirate hunter. Not specifically of the Black Spot fleet, but no less fearsome. They say, as he lay dying, the Black Freighter appeared. The surviving sailors said Jonah's crew ransacked the pirate hunter, and the devil himself sucked Robert's soul from his body. Now a little while later, Hopia, another first captain, was betrayed by his bosun. Lucky Sevens looks down at Charlotte, who is clutching her glass so tightly that he can hear the glass cracking, and she is shaking like a leaf caught in a strong breeze. He bites his tongue, takes a sip of his drink, and realizes that some tales don't need to be told in detail. And they say theirs well, at the moment of his death, the Black Freighter showed up. And those who survived say they saw the devil drinking the captain's soul. Now the disappearance of two of the first captains made the other captains realize. And Reese became a wanted woman. And we all know the curse of the charter should have befallen Reese. But no one knows why. Or what. Perhaps she made a deal with the devil himself. And made out good on. And so the first captain sent out their bravest pirates to hunt her down, bring her to bear before the Republic, answer for her crime. But unlike the Devil Jonah, Reese leaves no survivors, no quarters. The first captains know they're on borrowed time. Of the nine, only five yet live. And if the devil haunting your steps wasn't bad enough, the second traitor has returned. Second one? Who else betrayed the charter? Now I knew Fevrier. Shared many a drink here in the Bucket of Blood. And though he was quiet most of the time and unassuming, he was one of the first to call to action against the pirate hunting fleet. That shortly after the Black Spots were defeated, Fevrier's ship was caught in a storm, and he was thought to be lost at sea. A merchant vessel, coming to get payment from Adetokumbo, said that they had escaped Fevrier and his small fleet of company ships. It seems that after thirty years, he's returned from wherever he was. He's become the very thing he fought against. And no one knows why. There be many reasons why a pirate might turn to the company. They specifically try to recruit pirates to hunt their brethren. Making bargains they don't intend to make good on. And giving wealth that ain't rightly theirs to give. And offering pardons for their misdeeds. 
Maybe they offered him something he couldn't refuse. Lucky Sevens falls quiet for a moment, looking solemnly into his glass. Maybe one day, I'll find the courage to get back on the seas and ask him myself. Charlotte takes the last sip of her drink and places the empty glass on the table and rubs her hands together in a nervous gesture. Lucky Sevens? Hi, little miss. Are you alright? I didn't mean to scare you. No, it's okay. Um, I need to ask this question because my brother's out in the sea and I worry about him. Adetokumbo perks up from his spot in the dark corner. Nah, there's no reason to worry, Charlotte. Jesse, take good care of your brother. Oh, I don't doubt that. He seems like a really nice person. But can you tell me the story behind him? The devil, I mean. Lucky Sevens looks at Adetokumbo, and Adetokumbo looks at Lucky Sevens, and for a while, they just stare at each other. Finally, Lucky Sevens seems to have made a decision and looks down at Charlotte. I'm sorry, little miss. I've not the heart to tell you. And it's late. You should be going on your way. You've earned a good rest. And a dedicumbo would make me drink the water if I were the reason you didn't get a good night's sleep. A dedicumbo chimes in. That's right. The big man finally moves from his stool. On the bar sits a lonely brass bell that has seen many, many years. And Adetokumbo takes the hammer that is in his pocket at all times and strikes the bell with it. It rings in the nearly empty bar with a dull hum. And the patrons seated at tables or above on the balcony begin to move. Most all of them wave to either Charlotte or Idetokumbo, or even at Lucky Sevens, as they leave the bucket of blood for the night. Idetokumbo waves back, takes a rag that was hanging across his shoulder, and begins to clean the bar with it. Charlotte, why don't you help Lucky Sevens get home, eh? Charlotte slides off the tall stool, crouches down out of sight, and comes back up with a knobby wooden cane and hands it to Lucky Sevens. I thank you, little miss. I'll make sure you get there safe and sound. I'll fight off any bad pirates who come for you, aye? Charlotte giggles, a sound of silver bells, and it brings a smile and some life back into the old place. While Lucky Sevens is reluctant to tell a young girl a terrifying ghost story, about a very real threat in the Atabayan, I am not so kind. Or perhaps I am. I guess it's up to your interpretation. We move from the Bucket of Blood to a lesser-known tavern, still in Aragosta, and to a different barmaid. And this bar, very much unlike the Bucket of Blood, has its own shantyman and a roaring fireplace. No one ever talked to the old man. He sat in the corner of the tavern, never speaking to a soul. He sat at the same table and said nothing. Jocelyn was born in Aragosta, the island where the tavern lay, and when she was 14, she began working as a serving girl. 
She was tall and slender, her limbs long and lean, and because her mother was an Avalon privateer and her father a Rahuri fisherman, her hair and skin were as gold as a sunset. For as long as she could remember, Jocelyn never heard the old man say a word, but she watched him. For a week, she watched him, her curiosity growing stronger. And she also noticed nobody else spoke to the old man. Not a single one of the sailors who drank and sang and told stories ever approached him, bought him a drink, or even dared look at him. After a week of watching him, she finally gathered the courage to say something. As she passed by his table, she said, The pig is very good tonight. She paused, waiting for a reply. The old man said nothing. He didn't even move. Jocelyn turned to walk away when she heard the smallest sound. She faced the old man. He was looking at her, his eyes as dark as the sea at midnight. And he said the words again, Thank you. All that night, Jocelyn couldn't stop smiling. She moved through the tables and dancing sailors as if her heels had wings. When the tavern keeper asked her why, she said, Oh, just a good day. The evening passed quickly, and when it was time to close the doors, she moved to the old man's table and took the empty plate in her hands. And before she could lift it from the table, his hand was on her wrist. Sit, he said. Jocelyn looked around the room. There was no one. The last embers glowed dim in the fireplace. Smoke still lingered. But there was no one there. She felt his hand on her wrist, and it was cold. Her eyes went back to the old man. He stared at her. Jocelyn swallowed so hard her throat clicked. Sit, he said again. She used her free hand to shift her skirts and sat at the table with the old man. And this is the story he told. Captain Gonzalez was a good man. An honest man. Well, as honest as a sailor can be. Or a pirate. In fact, pirates are more honest than sailors. At least the pirate flies a flag that clearly states his intentions. His quartermaster, on the other hand, was not so honest. A black-hearted traitor was he. Jonah was his name. Gonzalez knew Jonah had himself a wicked heart, but the captain never knew the damned bastard was a villain. And that's the tragedy of it. Gonzalez had him a master gunner, and she was from Vodachi. She had the gift that women from Vodachi sometimes have, meaning that when the cannons of the ship fired, they seldom missed. But there was a problem. Years before, on a sandy beach in the Atabayan, under the stars and around a fire, Gonzalez wrote up a charter. He wrote it in blood. His and his officers, too. Gonzalez's mother was from Avalon, and there was Avalon magic in his blood. The Vodachi woman's blood was in there, too, which gave it more magic. And Jonah's blood. The charter made all of them loyal to the ship. It gave them a kind of magic nobody in all the world had seen before. Long before the first charter. Long before the Brotherhood. Long before the Republic. Like the times of the Numenari Republic, the charter gave every hand a vote. The charter made that promise. 
and breaking the charter meant awful things. A horrible curse that even one of them Vodachi witches couldn't pull off your head. Now, since that day, the ship knew nothing but clear skies and riches. The crew was happy, and everyone sang the captain's praises. But one day, Gonzalez saw himself a beautiful woman on another ship. Gonzalez wanted her so. She became his sole obsession. Not treasure, not glory, just to see that woman smile again. He ignored Castilian galleons fat with treasure from the New World. He ignored Vestan ships loaded down with cargo. The only thing he wanted was the one thing he couldn't find. And that's the worst kind of treasure to put in front of a pirate. Something he can see, but can't have. The crew started mumbling, and that villain Jonah, he did nothing to stop it. Poisoning the crew with his whispers, making sure the master gunner heard none of it. But then, one day, the watch saw a ship on the horizon flying the flag of an Atabayan plantation. The captain shook his head, saying he wasn't interested, but Jonah called for a vote. The crew decided to take the ship. It wasn't even a battle. Seeing the Jolly Roger of the pirate Gonzalez, the ship surrendered, but when the crew came aboard looking for treasure, they found the ship carried nothing but illegal slaves. According to the charter, all slaves were to be released and given command of the ship with the slaver crew abandoned on the nearest island. Jonah demanded they keep the slaves and sell them. The captain refused, reminding Jonah of the charter's punishment if they should break it. They followed their charter, giving the slaves the plantation ship and setting the crew on the nearest island. They didn't even keep the ship to sell. That was the last day Gonzalez was the captain of his own crew. When the moon crept up over the ship, Jonah led his mutinous bastards through the decks, cutting the throats of all those loyal to the captain. The traitors reached the gun deck, and Jonah's own blade pierced the heart of the master gunner. With her hands thick with her own blood, she touched Jonah's face, whispering the words, Vivere per sempre. No matter. A dead witch's curse can be lifted by a live one. Finally, they reached the captain's quarters. The two men faced each other with swords, but when it became clear Jonah's blade was not as quick nor clever as the captain's, he ordered his mutinous bunch to hold Gonzalez down. But the captain would not be killed so quickly or cleanly. He fought them off with a sword in one hand and the charter in the other. And when he struck one of the traitors with the charter, the man burst into red and gold flame. They fought all through the ship, the captain finding he had no loyal crew left. When he saw the body of his master gunner, his soul sank. All the fight left him. Jonah and his mutinous crew proved too much for the captain. As they overpowered him, Gonzalez put the charter against Jonah's chest and thrust his sword through both of them. The charter burst into flames, and the sword pierced Jonah's heart. The fire burst like a cannon. The charter was gone. Jonah was on the deck, his chest aflame. 
and the captain had fallen over the side into the dark, empty waters. But though he was wounded, Jonah did not die. Even though his heart was pierced by Gonzalez's sword and burned by the charter, the witch's curse kept him from death, but it also kept him from life. From that day forward, the devil Jonah was a man trapped between life and death, a creature unlike any other in the world who must steal the flesh of others to maintain his rotting, traitorous body. And he haunts the seas even to this day, robbing ships not of their gold or silver, but their flesh and bone. Jocelyn trembled as the old man finished his tale. Her eyes felt as if they had not blinked since the story began. What? What happened to Gonzalez? she asked. The old man's face remained as cold and implacable as stone. No one ever saw him again, he said. Then his fingers released her wrist and he sat back in his chair. Jocelyn ran from the tavern, bursting through the front door, running home as fast as she could. She fell into her bed, sobbing, falling asleep with her eyes wet with tears. The next morning, she went back to the tavern, her knees weak. She entered through the door and saw the tavern keeper cleaning glasses. Jocelyn stepped right up to the bar. You look like you haven't slept all night, he said. She nodded. Nightmares. Then she said, I sat with the old man last night. The tavern keeper looked confused. What old man? The one who sits at the corner table every night, she said. She gestured at the table, afraid to look at it. The tavern keeper shook his head. No old man sits there, he said. That table had Vidachi sailors last night. Jocelyn turned to look. As she did, the tavern keeper asked, What happened to your wrist? Jocelyn swallowed so hard her throat clicked. She looked at her wrist, and in the middle of her gold skin was a single mark of ghastly pale. Sun, a black hulled ship upon a stormy sea, where the devil sails while chained men wail for all eternity. We anchor home, unfurl the sails, but anon the chase is through. For no sailor may outsail his fate when the devil claims his due. I knew a lad who longed to sail and make his life his own. But his pa said nay and his ma said no, and so he stayed at home. Walked the cliffs with broken heart And stared down at his choice And the waves that broke upon the rocks Carried up the devil's voice 
said, Now, lad, you can be sure that I've heard your prayer complete. And ye may claim the life you wish if you can only grit your teeth. A gift I'll grant to prove your worth to all who sail the sea. You'll find your peace and for the cause of but a piece of you. Beware, my son, the black hole ship upon the stormy waves where the devil and dead men grasp to pull you to your grave weigh anchor ho unfurl the sails there's none that ye can do for no sailor may outsail his fate when the devil comes for you